This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Messi takes everybody off. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2 What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe. From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Hi, this is Alon Kirkland. You listen to the SteelerNation.com podcast. Hello, Steeler Nation, and I'm your host, G Stryker, and welcome to your SteelerNation.com podcast. Today, we are lucky and fortunate to have the man in the middle of the Blitzburg defense and all-pro Pro Bowl linebacker of the Pittsburgh Steelers, LaVon Kirkland. LaVon, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Where are you currently living now in Steeler Nation? Well, I'm in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I'm born and raised in Lamar, South Carolina. So I um, want to be closer to family and friends, and uh, it's pretty cool so far. Nice. You've got this, the whole coronavirus going on. I know it's changed basically how we do biz, uh, business, but what are you currently doing now, and how is that affecting what you're doing on a daily basis? Well, what I can do, I can easily do it from home. I'm the VP of development with the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame. So we do a lot of, you know, my job is basically develop relationships and also do a lot of fundraising. Uh, we do a podcast ourselves called The Inside Blitz with LeVon Kirkland. Nice. And it gives us the opportunity to talk to not only former players that played in South Carolina and some kind of affiliation or coach there, but we're also doing this series called the Summer Series that we're talking to student athletes, uh, athletes who have done a great job in the classroom and off the field. Um, basically, guys who are either um, seniors or guys who have left high school during this time. And it's a unique way for us to get their stories. And it's also the opportunity for people to what, what we call join the movement and help support our Bridge Builder program while supporting some of the best student-athletes in the, um, in the state of South Carolina. Nice. Well, since you brought it up, let's talk about that Bridge Builder program. What exactly is it so that Sealer Nation knows about it? Well, basically what the Bridge Builder program does, it, it helps 
the college athlete as you know, well, not really the college athlete, but student athletes. And we try to help them as far as life skills are concerned. If they're going to college, try to get them to understand credits that need to be taken, the uh, clearinghouse. And basically, we want to be a resource for them throughout their whole um, throughout their whole lives. And Stryker, the, the issue in South Carolina is we're ranked like 43rd in, in college and career readiness. Wow. And so our Bridge Builder program basically helps educate, empower, and, and encourage these students so they can have success, whether it's be in their career, um, college, or their life endeavors. That's great. And, and congratulations also to your, your Clemson football program down there. I mean, they're, they're really putting an excellent program together now. I mean, I know you went there. You're a, a, a big part of starting, I guess, their football program, too, to get it, um, get it recognized. I know you were a two-time uh, All-American. I know you were also – and ACC recognized there for three years. So uh, talk to us a little bit about what it was like to play for the Tigers back when you were starting out. And of course the pride that you must feel now for their program. Well, when I, when I started there, I wasn't a very highly recruited um, individual, but um, Danny Ford did a great job at that program at the time in the eighties, we were pretty good too, late eighties, early nineties. And, uh, just a tradition that really emphasized hard-nosed football, defensive football, run the ball, taking it to people. So it was a pleasure playing there. I played with some great guys. We were actually at one point the number one defense in the nation my junior year. So we ended up being the number one team and number one defense in the nation. I think it really prepared me for the next level as far as going to Pittsburgh and understanding their philosophy and it was almost the same you know tough defense taking pride in your position yeah. and all about championships so and you know the the program is doing well now they're they're recognized as one of the top tier programs in the country and it, it feels good i mean we've been going through some difficulties of lately as far as um you know one of our coaches and using the N-word, so it's, it's not as great as it was, but, you know, um, coming from Clemson, you can't help but love it because that's where you're born and raised. And so, um, you know, I definitely have pride about it, but we still have a long ways to go as far as, um, as, far as our social justice is concerned, too. Yeah, and you live – right there i mean very close to clemson as well you've lived there your whole life um well actually it's about two hours away okay <laughs> it was about it was, it was about three and a half hours away from where i was born and raised but uh yeah you know it was a big deal for me to go to clemson I, you know I, like i said i come from a really small town yeah. not highly recruited but to go there and have uh, some really good success was remarkable but the one thing i always remember is my father basically telling me that he never thought a son of his would go to Clemson. And, and I asked him what was the reason of him thinking that. And, you know, he reminded me that, you know, during his time, there were, uh, you know, he couldn't get through the front door, you know, 
black and white water fountains. So it was tough for African-American, especially in the South, to go to a university like Clemson. Mm -hmm. But um, he was able to see his son go there and do well. And you you didn't mention this, but I'm now in the, what they call the Ring of Honor, which your name is displayed inside the stadium and they retire your jersey. And that was one of the things I told people about my father and mother's name being on there and how much pride I really take in that. Oh, that's great. Um, so now I know after your time was done with Clemson, you were uh, highly drafted in the second round by the Steelers. Um, did you recall any other teams reaching out to you at the time or, or was there anyone specifically that, from the Steelers that talked to you before you were drafted? Now, I, I have to say this. I really, the Steelers really interviewed me more than anybody else did. Uh, they were the only team that their full staff interviewed me in the combines. I, I visited the Pittsburgh Steelers. I did also visit the Dallas Cowboys. But the Steelers really seemed to show the most interest right off the bat. And after I met, after me and Coach Howard had a one-on-one conversation in his office, that was that was really the only team I wanted to play for, the team that I wanted to draft, you know, draft me. And growing up, I wasn't a Pittsburgh Steelers fan at all. I was actually a Dallas Cowboys fan, so wow. <laughs> it was it was kind of it was kind of different. It's strange. And I always tell people um, when I was a kid. My father, instead of giving me Dallas PJs, he got me some Pittsburgh PJs, and he just didn't really know a whole lot about the game. And I I was terribly upset, but I had to wear those Pittsburgh Steelers PJs. And I kind of look back and I say, I wondered, was it destiny that I was going to be with the Pittsburgh Steelers? So, yeah, you know, the Steelers was a team that really, I think, really wanted to have me there. And it was really, after I talked to Bill Cowher, the only team I wanted to be drafted to. That's great. Was there anything specific that Bill said to you that made you feel like this is the guy and this is the right choice? No, I think it was more so his energy than anything. It wasn't one particular thing that he said. It was just an energy. He was a young coach. He was a rookie head coach. Yep, and 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 (laughs) Yeah, and coming from college, you're thinking like, man, this guy kind of has a college feel about him. Yeah. And I thought it would be kind of great to play with him. I mean, it seemed like he was really intense, my type of um, my type of coach. So I I really wanted to play for him. I, I bet he could have went on the road and recruited guys, and he probably would have got the majority of his guys because of yeah. the energy that he displayed. And, yeah. you know, it was really authentic, and you could tell, and it really – was that way the whole time I was there. Oh, that's great. So um, you report right after you're drafted to St. Vincent's, which is obviously a unique experience for a lot of football players going into like kind of a college environment to start your training camp and to meet everybody else on your team. Was there anybody that reached out and helped you as a rookie? Well, uh, there's several guys that it, it was a different NFL. You got to realize there was a lot, not a lot of social media, you know, it was almost beginning a free agency, as we know now. So guys were a little different. You had to really earn your respect on the team before you got a lot of guys to reach out to you. But I can tell you there were some guys who reached out to me pretty early. 
Uh, Ernie Mills was one of them. Oh, nice. Uh, Merle Hodge. And also, Jerry Oslowski was a guy who was playing the same position. Yeah. And yeah. He, really, he really taught me a great deal hmm. as far as learning the position and how to play because you have to realize I was an outside backer slash defensive end at Clemson. Yeah. And I never really – I never played the position before. I never played inside backer wow. ever in my life. So it was really an adjustment period for me. So it took me about a year to really get it down. And it really still took me some a while to really understand the instinct of it. And it was all about the rep, you know, the repetitions you take. But to go back to your question, I had those kind of guys. And then as you go along, you know, guys are a little friendlier to you. But back then, man, guys were not the friendliest guys. I have a story about Harvey, Hardy Nickerson, that man, he just got in my face like, oh, you're going to try to take, take my job. And I was just like, what are you talking about, man? I'm just, you know, I just got drafted. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, eventually I ended up taking David Lou's job. Yeah. And Hardy went into uh, free agency. So, yeah. and me and Hardy actually became really good friends after that. But the atmosphere was a little different back in the day. Oh, that's, that's a great story, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no and, problem. So, you know, your, your first year on the team, the team, I mean, it's Bill Cowher's first year. They had a couple seasons where they didn't make the playoffs, obviously, at the end of Noel's career, and they make the, the playoffs in your, in your uh, rookie year for, like, the first time since 89. Uh, could you feel something building that year when you were playing with them? Well, I'll tell you what happened is kind of funny. I think the first game of the year kind of changed our season around. We're getting beat by the Houston Oilers like 14 nothing, And it it seemed like, man, this may be a long year. But what happened was uh, he ran a fake punt that almost went down for a touchdown. We ended up scoring, and the momentum just changed. And then the next week we beat the Jets. And – you know, to have a successful team is all about buy-in and about ownership. Yeah. Once he get, once he made that move and said, "Hey, we're here to win, and we'll do whatever it takes to win." Yeah. Guys, guys really believed in the system. Guys bought into it, and it just took over from there because you could tell that this guy was all about winning games and putting us in position to win games. So. When he did that, it was it was on from there. We, I mean, we really played well, and we got better and better and better. So the next year, you become a starter, obviously, um, along with uh, rookie Chad Brown at inside linebacker. And mm-hmm. uh, the Steelers also pick up Kevin Green at free agency, and Blitzberg was born. So what was it like playing on that defense? Oh, it was really great because – what happened was you were really forming, formulating a team that, the, especially I, I would say with the linebackers, we all fit so well together. Yeah. Uh, and we, but we were all really different in what we could do. Um, you know, Kevin was a veteran pass rusher. We can get to the passer. Yeah. Greg Lloyd could just make big plays um, from from his linebacker position. and. Chad and I were different type of inside backers. We weren't, we weren't really the normal, prototypical backers that you would have. 
in a game. Usually most backers are inside guys back then. They weren't really the fastest guys or the most athletic. You know, they, and a lot of times they were covered up. Chad and I were very athletic. And Chad could do – I mean, Chad could rush the passer. I could rush the passer also. But I was big enough, uh, mobile enough to really be able to be to, – to really do well in coverage. And you could put us in certain defenses that didn't seem strong for, our, for the run game, but we can make up the difference. Yeah. And I think because we were different type of athletes in the inside position that we really – uh, probably very underrated in what we did. In a 3-4, the outside backers are the, the, the guys who make the sacks, make the big plays. Yeah. But with the combination of Greg, Kevin, Chad, and myself, we just really meshed well together. With Kevin and Greg being older, they really showed us how to, how to be a professional, how to approach the game. And... Chad and I just never wanted to let them down, but we also wanted to create uh, a legacy ourselves. And I think we did that. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we just didn't stay together that long. We only been, we were only together for three years, but yeah. man, what a three years that was and what an impact we made. And it was just a lot of fun because there was no weakness on, on that defense, especially yeah. at the linebacker position. Yeah, and then plus they had the cornerbacks behind you and the safeties with Lake and then Woodson and you. And you got Joe Steed in front of you. Yep. You got Joe <laughs> Steed who, tackle, yeah. <laughs> Joe who was um, amazing at nose tackle. Yeah. Uh, we had guys like Bristol Buckner, Ray Seals. Yeah. And all the pieces just really fit. And like, I, and like you said, we were Blitzburg. We were different than most defenses. We came after people, but we were able to maintain zone – um, integrity so you, you wouldn't just getting beat deep you just wasn't getting beat you know just blitzing at all costs it was a strategy to it and we made the most out of everybody and you know they they did it for so long that three four defense that blitzburg style stayed there for a while and and that's why you saw so much success but uh you know we although we didn't win a super bowl i think we really did start a tr tremendous trend that will be remembered for a long time. Well, you didn't win a Super Bowl, but you obviously got to a Super Bowl. Now, who was calling the the plays then? Usually it's one of the inside linebackers that calls the defensive alignments in that. Was that you or Chad, or was that uh, somebody else on <laughs> the defense that was calling the plays? That was me, actually. I was, yeah. the, I was the signal caller back then. And, oh. you know, it's so funny because I remember my second year, and – I, I didn't know I won the job, uh -huh. you know. And honestly, before then, I really never called the signals. I, I, I never did it in college. Yeah. And my first year, I didn't do it. Uh, my second year, I did a little bit more. And I actually liked doing it. But I just remember Bill Cowher telling me, like, you know, as the inside backer, especially what we call the buff backer, the strong side yeah. inside backer, Hey, you're going to have to really take over the huddle. And, you know, it's funny because I got Greg Lord on one side, Kevin on the other side, yep. uh, Rod, and these guys are very established guys. And yep. I was just – I just took David Little's spot. Uh -huh. And now the second-year guy who's never played the position before now has to be uh, – you know, has to take control. And not only that, fulfill 
Jack Lambert's legacy <laughs> and, yeah. and David Little's legacy and a bunch of linebackers who were uh, in front of me. But I, I took pride in that. I wanted to be, you know, one of the best linebackers in Steelers history. Yeah. And But it was me who made the signal calls. And that's, that's great. And just so you know, uh, Steeler Nation does consider you one of the best uh, linebackers in history. We just did a top 10, and you're in the top 10. So well, I, thank you very much. I appreciate that. No yeah. worries. It wasn't me personally. It was our website, SteelerNation.com. But it was, it was awesome. Right. We went through it on the podcast, and obviously it was great to see your name. And we talked about you at length because I, I grew up with you, so it was great watching you. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. You know, it's always humbling when people say that because, you know, you know, I come from a humble background and when people say, you know, they, they give me compliments on my play. It's always great to hear that. Nice. So you guys make it to three championships in the next six years, obviously, including the Super Bowl. Can you talk to us about what, what it was like to put together a team that was a Super Bowl caliber team for such a long period of time, number one, and then ultimately what it was like to play in a Super Bowl? Well, like I said, I, I think with most teams, especially in the NFL, there's not really a separation of talent. Everybody has pretty decent talent. You know, it's not that far of a separation, but I think what really separated us and put us on that championship level where we're always vying for the Super Bowl was. Uh, great leadership from the Roonies, great leadership from our head coach, uh, great coaching from our coaching staff, and just a belief in the Steeler organization and the culture and what we were doing. We, we as players understood that what we were doing really worked and it was unique. And so we took a lot of pride in it. So, we had, I thought, uh, tremendous pride in the black and gold and how football was supposed to be played. And really, not only that, how football is supposed to be played with a serious organization, the tradition of defense. And we carried that on. We took that, we took that ownership. And I think you have to have great leadership and you have to have not only the coaches buying into it, but the players have to buy into it. If, if none of that stuff is in order, it really doesn't work. Yeah. And you see it all over the league where it doesn't work. When a team is not good, something's going on, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whether it's leadership, coaching, players, it's evident that something's going on because the talent level is really not that different. It's just how the talent is worked. And do the talent believe in what they're doing? And I think that that's what we had. And, you, you know, you, you got different guys who play different roles. Sometimes you're going to have – you got five-star players, you got four-star players, yeah. and you got three-star players. Yeah. And they all have to play the role. They have to do – you know, not only do their job, but go, sometimes you have to go beyond it, beyond your work. I know Bill Belichick is really tagline with to your, to your job. But a lot of times when – you know, I saw Rod Wilson take some gambles and make some plays. Or, you know, on defense, I always tell people what I thought was that every defense had a weakness, you know. But sometimes it's the players you depend on to overcome those weaknesses, overcome the scheme of it sometimes. Not that you play out of the scheme, but sometimes you have to overcome it. I can tell you uh, a story about – 
it's an interception I made in the Buffalo game. It's a Monday night game. It was kind of go ahead, Spike. Where you going? So start? was that the one where you're running all the way deep for that one? Yes. So please tell us that. That's a great play. <laughs> oh well, thank you very much. Yeah, but I'm, I'm gonna tell you what really actually happened. Yeah, Chad. Chad had switched to outside backer because we had injuries to Greg and Jason. Yeah. So Chad had to play outside. Jerry moved inside. And okay. I think we had Ravati on the other side. Okay. And so we had what we call like a combo coverage where if the tight end goes to Chad's side, Chad has them, I have the hole. If he comes to me, I have it, then Chad would kind of what we call just kind of fade back and kind of look for, you know, to help anybody in coverage. Yeah. <laughs> Chad did not cover the tight end. <laughs> I, saw the, I saw the tight end just wide open. Yeah. So I turned around and I sprinted to the tight end. Yeah. He was ahead of me. It looked like he was beating me. And I was just like, well, if he puts his hands up, I'm going to go ahead and put my hands up because I'm not quite there with him. Yeah. He throws his hands up pretty early. I just reached out, and the ball hit me pretty much on my forearms, and I just grabbed it. But wow. it really it really wasn't my coverage. It yeah. was Chad's guy. But I saw that Chad didn't have him, so I took him. Oh. So that's what I mean. So you could say, well, do your job. Yeah. Sometimes in the heat of it, and Chad was new to the outside backer position. Mm -hmm. So in the heat of it, sometimes you miss your job. So you got to depend. Sometimes can players make plays in the moment, and they, could they do things that are a little extraordinary? Yeah. And sometimes you sometimes you do that, and and that's what happened. On and that's why I'm talking about. Sometimes you have to make up for the scheme because the scheme called for one thing, but if there's a leak in it or somebody doesn't do their job, hopefully players make up the difference and can make the play. And Steeler Nation also has to know this was a play where the tight end, which usually stays kind of short in these types of patterns in that situation, he went deep. He ran a seam route. And he was, you turned and you went with him, and you were 35, 40 yards downfield. At right. catching up to this guy who already knew he was going to run and you made the interception. It's, it's a beautiful highlight. And honestly, Steeler Nation, check out LeVon Kirkland's highlights here on YouTube because they're just a, a pleasure to watch. But it was an amazing play, especially when we see inside linebackers, we don't expect them to make plays like that that far downfield. And it was just such a big play, number one, and a game-changing play for getting a turnover. Well, I think that was the thing that maybe surprised a lot of people that I was able to um, do that. But yeah. um, physically, I wasn't really that fast. I, I didn't really run a really good 40. But mm -hmm. the thing that I did have was I had tremendous feet as far as quickness and lateral movement. And I had great fluid movement in my hips. Yeah. So, and like I said before, I actually played outside backer and defensive end. Yeah. So I was I was a better athlete than most middle or inside backers. Yeah. But I was also such a big guy that most people would probably wouldn't think that way. They they would think that I was a lumbering guy. Yeah. But I've always like but my my athletic ability as far as my feet and my hips um, were really good. I was a, I was tremendously quick. 
as a as an inside backer. It was just in a big package, so most people probably wouldn't wouldn't have guessed that I can move the way I can move. People in the inner circle of the in, in the, of the NFL knew, and they recognized. But it took I think it took people a little bit of time to catch up, and then we had so many tremendous players on our defense. Yeah. That, and my job was kind of gritty, dirty. So it wasn't, you know, we made, you know, I made a lot of plays. Uh, but I didn't, you know, it, it, it probably took people a little bit of time. Unless you were Pittsburgh Steelers and you looked at the games, uh, I think it took the nation a little bit of time to recognize that uh, we had some really good players and I was one of them. Nice. And so, Take us back to that 1995 season a bit because you guys had such a dominating defense even though you ended up losing Rod Woodson week one. I remember in that Detroit Lions game, you played without Rod Woodson the entire season until the Super Bowl where he actually came back in the same season from an ACL injury. I know Lake had to change from safety to corner to help cover uh, that vacancy, but the linebackers that year were on fire and played excellently all year. So – Talk to Steeler Nation what it was like a, to, to lose like you're a five-star player, how you guys reacted to that, and then your journey then for that 95 season culminating in the Super Bowl. Well, the thing about the, the NFL or any profession, you're, you're, you're first and foremost a professional. And when Rod Wilson got hurt, we weren't devastated. Now, okay. I have to say that we didn't start off that well that year. We we were we actually were three three and four. Yeah. And this and this is what I mean by Coach Cower. Coach Cower, we, we were three and four. We had a bye. We just lost to Cincinnati on national television. So the season doesn't really look that great to us, to be honest with you. Okay. You know, so we don't you know, we're thinking like, man, we're not playing well, we're just not gelling. You know, Neil was hurt a little bit that year too, so we just got off to a sluggish start, and we, you know, we were adding another cornerback, and it was like, man. Yeah. So, Bill Carr, I thought, did a tremendous job of really setting us back on course. So we get back after the bye after the bye week, and we normally have a chart of all the teams we play and everything. Did we win? Did we lose? Did we reach our goals? So we have this big chart yeah. on the chalkboard. We get back, and the chalkboard is completely empty. There's nothing on it. And we're like, okay, what's going on? Bill Carr gets up, and he basically says, forget about the three and four record we have. We're starting this season over. And our first game is against Jacksonville Jaguars. We win this game, we're one and up. We win the game. Oh. And, and we don't even refer to being four and four. Wow. Our language is we're one and up. Yeah. So the next, I don't know if you recall, but the next game is Chicago Bears. And we're playing those guys at their stadium at, you know, around four o'clock or so. Yeah. And Chicago is actually a pretty good team. They're like five and three or something like that, maybe. We go there and we play those guys, and it's a great game. And we end up winning that game in overtime. Wow. So, so now 
so now we're so now we're two and up. Yeah. Now we start believing it. <laughs> then we go three and up. Four and up. Five and up. So we ran off eight straight games yeah. that season. And we go to Cincinnati and they're beating us like they beat us they're beating us like they beat us before. I think that was a prime time we, game from that. I don't know if it's a no. It's just a regular, regular you know, regular week, game. But I yeah, regular regional game. Okay. And they're up on us. Mm. We come back in the second half. That's when Cordell Stewart emerges, and now we start doing the five wise before anybody was doing it. Yeah. And we end up coming back in that game, winning that game, oh. and from there it just snowball, and we just believed in. In that year, too, we became closer as a team. We hung out together. We did activities together. And people don't think that's a big deal, but it is. Because a lot of times, as a professional, you do your work and you go home. And you, you know, family life or whatever life you got going, you go home. You're not, you don't hang out like you do in college. And that was the first year that we actually hung out as a team. Offense, defense, it didn't really matter. We hung out as a team. Oh, cool. And that's how the team, that's kind of how the game that season kind of turned around. So it was tremendous to see how you can be in one situation and bounce back. But it's still, like I said, it takes the leadership and the ownership. You know, Coach Coward could have said, "Hey, we're going to start the season over," and I'm sure a lot of a lot of people have done that. But to actually believe it and to actually do it is something different. Yeah. And can you tell us then what it was like? What was the excitement? Going into um, Super Bowl week, you know, obviously it's different than anything else because you have a full week where you have to do interviews, you've got obligations. Um, kind of talk to Steeler fans what it was like for your personal experience for that. Well, for me, it was something that I've dreamed about and imagined about ever since I was 11 years old about going to the Super Bowl and playing in the Super Bowl and winning and having a magnificent game. I tell you, at that time, my mindset was of this. Um, during that three and four stretch, I wasn't really having a great year, but I think I was being a little selfish at the time. And, you know, um, the linebackers were really being taught, you know, everybody's talking about a linebacker position, but I felt that I wasn't getting as much publicity. And I wasn't. But my job didn't really – my job was just, uh, I thought, in a lot of ways, it was an important job. It was a key job, but it was just uh, a dirty job, too. You know, it was a job that I had to grind. And, and sometimes as a player, you want more. You want recognition. And I was being a little selfish. And then I got to the point where it was three and four, and I reevaluated myself, and I was like, you know what? play to win dude and I stopped caring about anything individually okay I, I did I, I stopped caring about you know accolades yeah. and it was kind of funny once I started doing that I started playing much better <laughs> I mean I, I had you know before then I was having a really good season I didn't really think about it to be honest with you but then when we got on that run and especially we got to the Super Bowl. It was for me. It was about winning. I didn't care. I could care less if I made a tackle or a big play. I just wanted us to win. And it's funny how you, when you put a purpose in front of you, and it's not about you individually, yeah. how better you are individually. It's kind of it's kind of funny that way. Yeah. And so my whole experience was, 
you know, they were talking about the Dallas Cowboys like they should. I mean, they were they were a juggernaut at the time, but I felt like we could take this team. Yeah. Because they really didn't do anything complicated. They were just really good at what they did. Yeah. And so once you realize that they basically ran the counter, they ran the lead, they didn't do a lot of things that was that hard. So it wasn't like you were going against Buffalo or the Houston Oilers where they just have all these plays and you got to try to understand what they're doing. Dallas is very simple at their approach. They were just very physical and they just had all the pieces you could possibly have. They had those pieces. But I thought that, man, with our scheme and the guys we got, we thought that we can play with these guys. And not only that, that we can stop them. Now, that first series, it was like, yo, whoa, <laughs> these guys are good. But honestly, we, we, you know, a lot of times you let things happen and, you know, Emmett got that first big play. Yeah. And it was like, settle, like, we, we just need to settle down. Yeah. And once we settled down, we kind of pretty much stopped him and we pretty much stopped their whole um, offense. And we, we just, you yeah. know, we, we basically turned the ball over. And when a team is that good, you can't turn the ball over. And you can't – it was not only he got an interception. And I think – I honestly think if he was just – okay, Larry Brown caught the interception and we tackle him at the – when he got the interception, Yeah, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have scored. Yeah. They score because they basically put him in great position. Yeah. And they end up scoring. Yes. But the first touchdown they got off that, uh, if we would have replay, Emmett Smith didn't get in. Yeah. He was he was knocked down before he got in. But we didn't have it, and they gave him the score. And, you know, you, you know how it is with a, with a force of nature, man. When you're the underdog, you got to take the momentum, and you got to take it away because everything is going to be in favor for the better team. Yeah. You know, and we just – you know, we end up playing very well, and really the momentum changed around until we gave it back. But I thought we played those guys tremendously. Honestly, it gave me a whole lot of confidence going into the next year and um, played well after that. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So who ended up giving you the nickname Captain Kirk? Uh, you know, I had so many nicknames because Kirk just kind of – Or Kirk Lynn. Uh, <laughs> from, from, the, from the Star Trek thing, people just – they either call him – it's Kirk. It's just, it's, I had so many nicknames, to be honest with you. We didn't use them, uh-huh. but, you know, most – you know, people either call me Captain. Like most guys on my team call me Captain Kirk. Yeah. The Steelers. They still do just because the name affiliation with Star Trek. Yeah. But also, people would call me Big Kirk because of my size and my last name. So, Big Kirk would be one. Kirk Dog would be one. So, Kirk Man would be one. So, <laughs> LK. I just had a 
just had a bunch of nicknames. Nice. And uh, it just, nobody really came up with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of like, it just flowed with Captain Kirk of Star Trek. So people would just call me Captain Kirk and yeah. being at the inside position, it's kind of, it just kind of fit. Well, you were the captain of that defense there calling the plays. So I always loved it, that nickname for it, you. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny because, you know, I always thought it was a good marketing campaign, but, you know, we just never, nobody ever used it. And back then, you know, we didn't, we didn't really know about how marketing really worked, but uh, you know, I was, <laughs> I was, just, I was really a guy with a big personality, but you know, it just wasn't really seen a lot. Everybody in the locker room saw it, yeah. And I, I did take the leadership role, but it really wasn't me to be outgoing like that. I had to be outgoing. I had to be like when you're in that kind of position, you have to be beyond yourself you have to be you know you have to be kind of in character so the linebacker position and being the leader it was more of a character than anything you know I was you know a lot of times you know I wasn't really that vocal you know when I when I Clemson I wasn't that vocal I was just more intense and enthusiastic I was intense but when coach Coward told me you have to take over the huddle um, I, I took it seriously. I was like, okay, but it took a little time to build that. And guys like to, some guys like to talk and, but that's all they do. They just talk. Yeah. I'm going to tell you in, a, in the land of professional people, mm-hmm. if you don't earn their respect, you're just talking and nobody's listening to you. Mm-hmm. I, I think the thing that I did well was I put in the work. And I made plays. And when you do that uh, in the football arena, you become a leader. Yeah. You become a leader. And, and if you don't do work and you talk a lot, you're just a loudmouth. So I felt that my work actually played a big part on me being called Captain Kirk, Kirk Dog, and all those nicknames that um, I mentioned before. But I, I thought I was just a guy who just earned respect. Well, you earned the, the fans' respect. That's a definite. And Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Um, then 2001 rolls around. I know free agency becomes a, a thing for the Steelers, uh, but a lot of fans don't fully understand all the reasons for you leaving the team. Can you explain to Steeler Nation what happened and what, the, what exactly happened, I guess, for you to go out to Seattle? Yeah, well, at that time, I don't know if you know, but Damani Dawson got hurt, too. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. He got hurt, and that really kind of affected what happened with me because of my salary at the time. Um, we weren't, you know, we, we had a law there where uh, we weren't really, we didn't get in the playoffs like the last three years, the three years prior to it. And, you know, I would just, I, I, it wasn't really my play because actually, I played really, you know, compared to the year before, I actually yeah. played pretty well Yeah, that, that, that year. And I was in great shape, played well. I had an injury that I still didn't miss a game from. So I thought, I thought honestly, that was really – I played with a lot of heart and soul that year. And, you know, sometimes teams don't look at you the same, you know, like – you got to realize that at one point in time, 
I was probably one of the top defensive players in the league. Yeah. You know, not just one of the top players in, in Pittsburgh, but uh, in the NFL, man, probably one of the top defensive players. Yeah. And, you know, it's a business. And if you're not performing on that level all the time, they're always looking to get rid of you wow. and see if they can get somebody a little cheaper or whatever because it is a business. And I play linebacker. It's not like playing quarterback. Because quarterbacks, you know, if you're a big-time quarterback, they will keep you more so than every other position, I think, is expendable in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, and I'm talking about the position, not the player. Now, if you got like a Troy, now that guy's valuable. <laughs> but that position, yeah, if he doesn't play that position well, mm -hmm. then he's out of there, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, any position, mm -hmm. quarterback is looked at a little bit differently. But I digress. I think I was just a, a casualty of the salary cap. Yeah. And you're paying a guy a whole lot more money. And although I'm a still a good, really good player, mm -hmm. I'm not at the top of, you know, I'm not where I was, you know. So compared to what I was in 96 and 97, yeah. there's no way in the world to get rid of a LeVon Kirkland. Yes. But in 2000, even though he's still probably better than 90% yep. of the players out there, mm -hmm. can we go in a different direction? Can we get this cap off us? Yeah. And that's what they did. And, you know, um, the only thing that I was a little upset with is that they, like, I thought I've earned the respect that they could at least let me know. Oh, like okay. before, before the word got out, I didn't know anything. Mm. And that was the, for me, that was the tough part about it because you're taught and you're trained to be about the team and to give it up for the team and for the team not to say like, Hey, LeVon, this is our direction and this is where we're going. Yeah. And I think this is where the NFL get it wrong. And I think this is where sometimes even good organizations like Pittsburgh Steelers get it wrong. You know, I'm 29 years old or something like that, maybe 29, 30. I'm a grown man. You can come to me with the truth yeah, and tell me, hey, this is the direction we're going. We love what you – we would love to keep you, but it's the business of it. Mm. Once, I, once I got over – Ed Bouchette telling me on the phone call because he wanted to get the scoop and me just being blindsided, oh. I understood the business. I, I understood that, hey, you know, even I tell people the story when I first got the job from, you know, became a starter, my brother was, you know, I was like, man, I hated the way David Little got released. My brother reminded me, he's like, listen, dude, business is business. Yeah. You know, they're going to try to replace you. So I always understood the business going in. Okay. The that I always had the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I don't have that issue anymore, but it was just, I thought I earned the respect and I played that long enough that you could have simply made a phone call and say, LeVon, this is where we're headed. Yeah. I still might not have liked it, but I would respect it more because I thought I gave the team my loyalty. And to not get that, it makes, and as much as I, you know, really respect the Roonies and Bill Cowher, mm -hmm. I thought I earned that respect yeah. at the time. It didn't happen. I was a little upset, but I had conversations with the, Mr. Rooney afterwards, and I basically thanked him. I was like, yeah. hey, I understand. Yeah. Thank you for drafting me. Thank you for 
renewing my contract twice when you really didn't have to. And I appreciate everything. Thank you. And it was funny when I got the, I got the, uh, when I finally got the contract from Seattle, Coach Kyra called me and they were like, hey, we'd love to have you back. But then that's when I became more of a businessman. I was like, listen, thank you, but no thank you. I'm going to take my show on the road. Yeah. Like Dick LeBeau always used to warn us, <laughs> you know, be able to tell Dick LeBeau would tell you things, but you had to catch them. Yeah. He would tell us as players, be able to take your show on the road. Mm. And a lot of times people didn't get that, but I, I was like, he's telling us like, Hey, you may, this is a profession. You may not play for the Pittsburgh Steelers or be able to take your show somewhere else. Yeah. And, I was reminded of that when they were just like, hey, you know, we'd like for you to come back. So they asked me to come back. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, you know what? Thank you for the offer. Mm -hmm. But I knew, that, I knew that the Seattle Seahawks wanted me and wanted my leadership and wanted yeah. the way I played. Yeah. They wanted me. Yeah. And I just had to make a business decision just like they made. So no, no harm in it. No foul. It was all good. It's a shelf life anyway. And uh, that's really what happened. I know a lot of people got upset when I yeah. got released. Yeah. But it, it was just a, a, a business call. And it's just, you know, uh, as, you grow, as you grow up, football is different from high school, college, and all those things. So it, it was a different situation. It was a professional situation that – as a player, you understand that. Even more so now, the guys, they definitely understand it. But it's funny because the game teaches you about loyalty, about being on a team, about, you know, they try to make it more of a family. But when you get into that league, you can try to make it as much as a family as you can. But at the end of the day, um, they're going to get rid of players. I mean, I always said if they can get rid of Joe Montana, at San Francisco, yep. at that time, yeah, you can get rid of anybody. Yeah, and it's played out. I mean, Peyton Manning, um, Tom Brady. If you wear, if you wear out your welcome, they will let you go. I mean, honestly, even with you know with Jerome's situation, you know Jerome did a good thing or retired because I'm sure they were trying to get rid of Jerome too. Yeah, and you know. They love, and, and that's where, like, quarterback position is a little different because, you know, uh, they always, in a lot of ways, I love quarterbacks, but they coddle those guys. <laughs> more so. They, no, seriously. More yeah, so than any right, other Tom, position. Yeah. They, they, they coddle those guys. They never, like, every other position is made to compete. Against, they can, guys are competing all the time. Yeah. What, what position – that they bring in guys that you know you can't compete with the with the number one guy. Yeah, yeah. You're okay, right. you're right. Yeah. Like with the Steelers, who have they really brought in to actually compete with Ben? No one, because quarterbacks are they don't want to really compete. They 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 bring in entourage for quarterbacks. They bring in guys who can be their buddies and guys who can besides their shoulders and say, hey, man, you, you're the best. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Think about all the backups 
Yeah. They're not guys who can really compete with a starter. Yeah. They're just guys that if you get into a position, they can do decently and help you out. Yeah. But you don't bring in competition, especially when you got a quarterback who's a top-notch guy like Ben. You don't bring in competition like that. So and, and it kind of – yeah, it probably went away from our topic, but, yeah, that, <laughs> that kind of – I guess it was on my heart a little bit, but yeah, you know, they never, they try to milk a quarterback as long as they possibly can until they can't milk them anymore. And, but quarterback is the only position in, I think in the NFL that once you get a great quarterback, you're really not trying to bring in top competition. Yeah. And that's a great point. That's a great point. Cause uh, fans always talk to the, you know, what about the depth at inside linebacker? What about the depth at outside linebacker? Nobody ever brings up what about the depth at quarterback? I mean, sure, sure this year a little bit, the Steeler fans are talking about it more since Ben had that injury that took him out for the year, but you hit the well, because they need it. Because they need it. Yeah, yeah. It's a great point. And this year, obviously, they're going to be going with Ben full-time, obviously, if they play. But to get back uh, to your career, I wanted to talk about your decision to going to Seattle. And, you know, I followed you because – there was another former Steeler linebacker out there too, and you got to play with Chad Brown again. So what was it like to uh, reunite out there in, in Seattle? And was that a, a factor for you going there as well? It was a factor because Chad was there mm-hmm. and Willie Williams was also That's there that. too. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I looked at it and I was like, you know, these guys can really, this is a pretty de- good defense. They brought in Randall. Uh, that year, uh, they bring they brought in some other guys, and so we figured that man, you know, we could be a really good defense. It was just a getting used to. I never really played the middle before until I got there. So once I got used to it, we actually had a really good year, and uh, our defense was a lot better than it was. And I think um, Coach Holgram was just trying to get some solid guys to help some of the guys that he had with him but it was good playing with Chad again man I mean uh we meshed like we always did it was a lot of fun but I'm telling you man that's I I always thought that man that's where we made a mistake in free agency when we got rid of Chad Brown because I thought that the both of us was gonna I thought we were gonna dominate Mm -hmm. the league for quite some time yeah and I I really think we would have dominated because we worked so well together but we were so similar in so many ways that we were new to the position and but we were very good athletes and we were both we both understood each other and we were both we, we were never selfish as far as that's go but yeah being with chad again really was one of the main reasons why i chose going to seattle oh that's great that's great and you were only you had a really productive year. You had a great season, and you were only there for one year before going to Philadelphia. So, what was the reason for only being in in Seattle for one year, and then your transition to going to Philadelphia? Well, me and um, Coach Holgram had an agreement, and I think what Coach Holgram was set on is my he was my weight was the thing, and. I think he didn't really what I'm gonna tell you what the Steelers understood. Okay. And and especially like guys like Coach Capers, those guys, mm-hmm. they didn't care. They they knew that I was unique. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And they saw, and they saw the proof in the pudding, like, oh, man, he's just a unique guy. He's a bigger guy, but he moves just as well as any other linebacker in the league. Yeah. Coach Holgram always thought if he lose a weight, he'll be better. Even though I was still good, yeah. he got caught up in he needs to lose weight. He needs to lose weight. If he loses weight, he'll be better. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't that weight. And he just like, he saw the number and he's like, forget it. Hmm. Now, I was almost going to retire from football right then. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with it. But the Philadelphia Eagles, who was a really good team at the time, and Andy Reid, yes. they offered me a deal like the next week. Oh. And I got in, and this is what Andy Reid told me. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the scale. Don't worry about your weight. Because mm-hmm. I know you still can He said, I know you can play. Yeah. He said, so forget about it. Don't even worry about it. I know what you can do. So here I am with a better team. And, you know, I had to basically compete for the job. Yes. And I came in and I, I took that job. Mm-hmm. I basically competed and took that job. Yeah. And I thought, even with Philly, I thought I did a really good job with that. But Andy Reid was a guy, and I still, I'm a big Andy Reid guy to this yeah. day. That's awesome. Andy Reid was basically like, I know what you can do. Don't even worry about it. Just, just play. You, you know, he was basically like, you're unique. It, it, it was a thing because it was, um, I was such a, I was such a unique size, but I carried my weight probably better than anybody did, yeah. you know. And the position was so physically demanding. I look back on it and I say, you know what? Maybe I would have been better but I wouldn't have been unique. And I felt like throughout my career, I was a very unique player that could do things that most linebackers could never do. Yeah. Uh, And even um, I could do things that guys wasn't doing anyway. Like how many guys, you know, that were carrying tight ends down the field every single, you know, five, at least five or six times, yeah. Doing the game, carrying them deep, or uh, really covering a guy in the backfield man to man, or being able to blitz and being able to be a very good run stopper. Hmm. So I did a lot of things better than most guys did. Yeah. Um, but I think my size was just the people's minds that just kind of always thought of me as a run stopper yeah. or yeah. something like that, or just a but you ask anybody who I played against, or you definitely ask the coaching staff what I could do, and they could tell you that this guy was uniquely um, special in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I mean, when I went to Philly, man, it was uh, I, you know, I really felt like, man, I'm on a contender, and we got really close to get to the Super Bowl again, <laughs> but we I didn't know. end up going. And I was glad I played with. I, I was happy that I played with Philly, man. I, I met some great guys there. Met some great people in Seattle, too. And it was a great ride for me. It really was. I was really blessed. You know, God really blessed me during this whole time. I I didn't get hurt, things like that. And yeah. although you want to stay, because it seems really prestigious to stay on one team for all your career. Yeah. 
I think it's good to go to different teams, you know, because you do, you see, you see it differently. You see a different perspective. And Pittsburgh was a great perspective, but Seattle was a great perspective. And I learned a lot from Andy Reid and Jamie Johnson. Um, oh gosh, Jimmy Johnson. Ron Rivera was my Ron Rivera was my coach, man. And me and Ron Rivera <laughs> spent so much time together because he was. I know they were like, "Get whip him into shape, Ron. You got to whip him into shape." <laughs> but Ron, even after I finished with Philly, Ron was just like, "Levon, you can probably play another another three years, man." He's yeah. like, "You still can play." Yeah. And I'm like, uh, well, you know, I got married. And then once I, um, I was thinking about coming back again, but um, my wife got pregnant with um, my daughter, Candy. And I'm just like, you know what? Um, do you really want to go to training camp again or another training camp? You know, and I just told myself, this, this is it. And I, I've been satisfied with that um, decision. That's great. And I lived in Philly that year too. I loved that ride in 2002. It was a, you guys really played phenomenally that year. And then, and, uh, but how did you feel then playing for Andy Reid, watching him win his first Super Bowl then last year? I felt great for Andy because yeah. I think if you ever realize when people say, well, he can't win a big one, it's not yeah. that. It's just that it's a lot of moving parts mm-hmm. in winning anything. Yeah, And, you know, to win the Super Bowl, not only do you have to be great on offense, great on defense, coaching staff have to be really vibing, you got to be fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> things got to be, things got to fall your way. And yeah. sometimes that even means who you play in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, sometimes if you play the, if you play the opponent that you don't match up well with, mm-hmm. mm, like, for example, uh, there's two examples. When we played the Denver Broncos yeah. uh, that year, and we beat them the regular season. Yeah, a couple weeks before and, the regular season, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes people would tell you, I don't care who we play. Yeah. I didn't really particularly want to play the Denver Broncos. Okay, yeah. I, I wanted to play Kansas City, and I didn't care if we played Kansas City at Kansas City because I knew we were going to beat – I knew we will beat Kansas City. We we'll beat we'll beat those guys. Yeah. Now the Denver Broncos, like we can beat them, but boy, it's gonna be tough this time because, like, if, let's just say we played them for the first time, we probably would have beat them, but we played them before, mm-hmm. so that means they have us on film. They played us, and there is a revenge factor in there. They didn't play as well as they should have the first time we beat them. They dropped a lot of balls, things like that. Yeah. But you better be sure that they, we were going to get their very, very best. And we still played them well. And, if yeah. we, and honestly, yeah. if it wasn't for four turnovers, we'd have beat them yeah. again. Yeah. But I, but in my mind, I was like, I don't care about. I don't mind playing them. But I, if I had, if you asked me my choice of Kansas City. And the Denver Broncos, I wanted to, I wanted to play Kansas City, mm-hmm. and um, we end up you know we still end up playing them well. We end up losing by three, but we, you know, we talk about turnovers, and you talking about the the weapons they had. And I'm really not talking about John Elway so much, but John Elway presence helps them, you know, 
uh, even though he was older and I don't think he was that much of an effective quarterback as he was. The, so that was the point about being fortunate. Now, when, I, when I'm at Philly, same thing happens. I really wanted to play. I forgot who they played in the championship game. I think it was – I forget. That was Tampa Bay, I think, that year. Tampa Bay. Yeah. And I'm trying to think who they played. They played the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, the, yeah, the, the week before? Yeah. And yeah. I was like – Yeah, it was a big upset, yeah. Okay. I don't really, like, I don't care about playing Tampa, but I hated playing teams that you played before. Yeah. You beat them. Now they have a reason to really play their very, very best. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's talking about the cold. They're talking about the home field advantage. And I I believe our team kind of bought into that. Yeah. But me being a veteran, I was like, man, don't buy into this hype. Don't yeah. buy into the fact that we're playing the veteran stadium with a home team and we're beating these guys so many times. Yeah. And I think, you know, Donovan had just came back from um, – he just got a broken leg. Mm-hmm. He came back. And <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, I thought we should have rolled A.J. Fieldy. Oh, wow, yeah. I, I thought that this, we, we, played, we played better – because when Donovan got hurt and then the backup got hurt, yeah. Um, AJ can't. Uh, I know his name and I see his face. Oh, Detmer. Detmer was the Detmer, yeah. Yeah. Detmer's, yeah. 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 And I felt like, let's ride this kid. Because we knew we had AJ, who was a third string quarterback. But yeah. honestly, we played better because we had to play better with AJ. Yeah. <laughs> and so. It's funny, but I was just like, man, let's ride him. Yeah. But in the playoffs, Donovan came back, and everybody was like, oh, well, Donovan's our guy. Yeah. Somebody who's outside looking in kind of. Yeah. I thought in that Atlanta game, we were shaky. We barely beat the Falcons. Mm. And I'm thinking, like, man, we should ride. I'm telling you, we should ride this kid. But, you know, we had Donovan back. Man. The, the Buccaneers just got after us. And we, it was still a close game. We still had an opportunity, you know. But that's the one time when you know that sometimes, man, <laughs> you got to be fortunate. You got to be fortunate. If we would have played any other team in that NFC championship, we would have won that game. But sometimes you just got to be fortunate not only in your health and things are going well, the opponent you play has to be a good matchup for you too. Yeah, you're right. So, so that's you know when they talk about Andy Reid could be the big one. It wasn't Andy Reid. It was you got to have the right pieces in place, yeah. and things got to go well for you. And and you got to have a in the playoffs. It's all about making a run. If you make a nice run, yep. it doesn't really matter what your regular season was or whatever happened before. Yeah. You can make the right run. You can win that thing. Yeah. So it, for him, it was just about making the right run, and that's what happened. So now we enter the portion of the podcast where we take questions from Steeler Nation. So everybody writes in from Twitter and from SteelerNation.com, and we got a couple quick questions for you if you don't mind answering. Uh, Oh, sure. The first one's from Johnny Gunslinger 87 on Twitter, and he asked, who is your favorite quarterback to sack or go up against? 
Hmm. Well, for me, it wasn't really quarterbacks. For me, it was running backs. Oh, okay. I like because you think about it. My position, we you know, we were basically, especially back in those days, it was about stopping the run. Yes. So for me, quarterbacks, because I didn't really sack the quarterbacks that much. So for me, it was about playing the running backs and being able to stop. And running backs and tight ends were for me. Yeah. So, whew, probably the guy I liked the most was Eddie George. Oh. I love hitting. I love hitting Eddie George, man. Because Eddie George was such a big guy, and he was he was kind of intimidating, man. He was a six three two something guy, and I remember the first time I connected with him. Yeah, I was like, ah. Oh, I'm going to get with this guy. So Eddie, to me, was the guy that I like playing against, and I like hitting. Yeah. He really was. And I'm showing because, a highlight here of you guys flipping Eddie George up as a team. Uh, right. <laughs> flipping him upside down in that game in Tennessee. And, uh, yeah. obviously, that's probably the biggest hit Eddie George took in his career. Uh, oh, well, so. because, you know what, Eddie George, Eddie George came in, uh, and I think for the first two weeks, he rushed for 200 yards. Yes. His rookie year, he was for 200 yards. And then we played him, and we were tattooed on the man. And I remember Preston Buckner saying, we may, look like our, we may look like our Hawkeyes, but these yeah. are Pittsburgh Steelers. Because, you know, we had that same color scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Eddie, you know, Eddie, I think a guy like Eddie, Eddie came in with a lot of hype. He won the Heisman. He just ran for 200 yards. And he's probably thinking, like, oh, I'll do the same with the Steelers. Right. But I think after that game, he was like, who is number 99? <laughs> like, where did he come from? And, that, and that's the beauty of the game because, you know, you, you meet guys. You could be a high-profile guy coming out of college. Yeah. And you can go against a guy that you've never heard of before. And you're just like, who in the hell is this guy? This guy is a monster. So I would think Eddie George would be the guy that I like playing against. And you guys were both huge guys because Eddie George was huge for a running back, over six foot and, and right. big-bodied guy. You were huge for a linebacker, so it was always fun watching the two of you go up against the two. That's Oh, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. So Stillwright asks, uh, you know, he, he loves LeVon Kirkland. Amazing how you could run with that size. His question is, what was the actual heaviest weight that you ever played at? Well, I played, you know, honestly, when I was at Philly, I played at 300 pounds. Wow. Wow. And you're yeah. still moving like that. That was great. <laughs> yeah. But the best weight, to be honest with you, I, I, I put the best weight. My best weight, my, where, like, I was just really solid was around 270, 280. That was my best weight. That was my, actually, those, those years were my most productive years around that time. But I think a lot of people see the number. Go back and look at look at me as a player, and you could tell basically no fat. Only time that I look a little heavier was when you know two thousand, two thousand one. Yeah. You know, um, so maybe a year. But between those first six or seven years, mm. I mean, really, basically, not a lot of body fat at all. And then Tibbs also wants to know, since when you became a linebacker, you were so big, do you think that that helped intimidate opposing players? You know, I don't know if it did at first, but I think it did later. Hmm. I think it did later because guys were just like, you know, the, the common thing that I always got was they were watching on tape. They're just like, man, how in the heck this big guy 
move the way he does. That, they were always like, man, it's unfair that you're playing at this way. So it was – I don't think it intimidated anybody at first, but I think around my, my fourth, fifth year, it started to – people started like, whoa, this guy. And then it, it was not about me being that big, but people were running the lead and they were running plays like that. And I was just – I would just go after him, man. I, like I, I would take, I would take on blockers. I didn't care. I just take, I would take on guys, and that's where it kind of helped everybody else. Yeah. A lot of guys they always trying to make plays, but you can't make all the plays. Yeah. But you can do something. You can do your job, and you can make the play happen. So, in a lot of plays that I may not have made the tackle, I guarantee you, I took on a blocker that helped make the tackle. And uh, Ike Kelly asks, you're in a long linebacker room. You had Dom Capers, you had Dick LeBeau, Marvin Lewis. I'm sure Cower was in there at times. What was it like constructing defensive plays with those football minds? I'm going to tell you, my first couple of years, it was tough, man, because <laughs> me and Chad were just – we were green at the position. So we made a lot of plays athletically, but we didn't quite have our technique down. You don't understand the many times that Marv Lewis and Bill Carr would just have me and Chad in the room. <laughs> and it was heated. And then when we go into our individual linebacker meetings, there was never anything really said directly to Chad, no, to Greg or Kevin. Okay. <laughs> it would be coached through me and Chad. <laughs> so... Let's say one time, this is a prime example. One time, we're in a little individual meeting with just me and Chad, and Greg jumped offside. And Ma was like, damn it, we got to stop jumping offside. And me and Chad looking at each other like, we don't ever, like, dude, we're like five yards back. And you're, he's talking to Greg, but he's coaching it through everybody else. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, in the league, you, you know, I, I don't blame Marv for doing that. I mean, back then I didn't understand it, but uh, once you get older, you can't talk to your veteran five-star guys in a demeaning way. Yeah. Because those guys are grown men. Yeah. And they it's not like college when the coach tells you something, you're like, yes, sir, yes, sir. These guys are proven professionals mm. now, and they when they make a mistake, they know it more than anybody else, yeah. and they're harder on themselves. So if you're a really smart coach, and I think Bill Cowher did this really well, mm. Bill never like berated a player. If he did anything, he would encourage you as a player. He may do it in a way where you think like, "Wow, he's getting on that guy." Yeah. Bill will never do that. Bill will always encourage you. If you're a dumb coach. That's why a lot of college coaches don't do well in a professional league. Mm. Uh, not everybody, because Jimmy Johnson did it, but Jimmy Johnson was a master. Yeah. A lot of coaches like Nick Saban, somebody come in, they talk to their players belittlingly because they're always dealing with youngsters who they have to develop and mature. When you get to the NFL, you don't have to develop them so much as a player. You have to encourage them and help them get to the next level. Yeah. And so with us, 
it was just kind of funny because, man, we were getting coached even though somebody else made a mistake. We were getting coached. But we were still young guys, and, yeah. so, and, we, were, and we were also guys who never played a position. So it was interesting because you had some great minds in there. Um, I mean, especially I thought Dick LeBeau was just – I thought he was a genius in what he did. Not only that, not only was he was a, a great X and O guy, he had a perspective that I think a lot of defensive coordinators don't. He had a perspective of the secondary. And, and he knew once you get past the secondary, it's over. So he did a great job with the blitz zone stuff, him and Dom Capers, of really never putting the DB in harm's way. Wow. And a lot of people thought you blitz, you're giving up something, and hopefully the DBs hold up if it doesn't get there. We played – the scheme we played was a three – it was basically cover three. You just didn't have the fourth guy um, underneath, hmm. you know. Yeah. And so he did a good job of protecting the coverage. We did a lot of exotic stuff, but it was safe exotic stuff. It just seemed like – especially if you're under center, that's why you don't see people under center anymore because the blitz zone would kill you if you would get under center. So, um, yeah, we had some incredible minds, and I was glad to be a part of it. Mm, that's great. And last question here for Steeler Nation. Uh, Steeler Sask asks, what was your most memorable hit and or play? Oh, gosh. I'm going to tell you the play that probably is not on a lot of radar, people's radar, because they remember – some people remember the sack I got against Troy Aikman where I had to jump over jump over Emmett a little bit. Yeah. Um, I made some plays where I had to jump over him. But anyway, my best play was um, the hit I remember is we played in the Cleveland Browns and Leroy Horde. Oh, wow. And when I hit this guy, I kind of lift up, and you can see us both parallel to the ground. I'm on top. He's, he's, he's under me, but we're now on the ground. We're still in the air. Wow. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because the play before he did, he did, he, 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 act like he was going in one hole, he went in another hole. Okay. And he got some yards. Yeah. It was the same exact play. And he went to do that. I'm like, uh, I, no, he's not doing that. And so when he stepped to the other side, I was right there. Wow. He, had, he had no defense, and I just picked him up, and I slammed him on the ground. <laughs> so that is probably my favorite play of all time. Nice. And yeah. Steeler Nation, we've got to know it too. LaVon, just tell us again how Steeler Nation can find out more about South Carolina Football Hall of Fame and their Bridge Builder program. Yeah, well, we're online. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, all those things. But – a way you can get in touch with me and also help our our join the movement is I'm at Kirkland, no Kirkland at scfootballhof.org. Right, and that's how you can find what we are doing and the tremendous work that we're doing and how we're basically advocate for student athletes. So, if you want to join the moment and see all our stories and see us talking to these student athletes, please um, get online, man. And uh, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a great organization. 
That's fantastic. Steeler Nation, you've got to check it out. Kirkland at scfootballhof.org. Also, follow him on Twitter at Levon Kirkland. That's L-E-V-O-N underscore K-I-R-K-L-A-N-D. Levon, thank you so much for sharing your time. I had a, a, a fun conversation with you today, and I really appreciate it. And that you took as much time as you did because this was just a, a dream for me, and I really enjoy your time. Thank you, man. No problem. Thank you, Striker. I, I appreciate you coming on. And if um, you ever need me to come back on, let me know, okay? I would love that. I would love that. Peace. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye. Steeler Nation, you too can get a great, unique gift on the SteelerNation.com gear page. We have every size and many color choices to satisfy all of Steeler Nation. SteelerNation.com is also the best site for unique Steeler content on the internet. Click the podcast button to enjoy one of our many interviews, including this one with LeVon Kirkland, or click on the forum button for the best football discussion on the internet. Subscribe to the Steeler Nation YouTube channel to be the first to know about our live vidcam, such as this one that we had today, and video uploads. Tweet us at SteelerNation.com. Instagram us at, sorry, tweet us at SteelerNation. Instagram us at SteelerNation.com. Follow the Steeler Nation podcast on Twitter at underscore SN podcast. Or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at SN Striker, Striker spelled with a Y. Thanks for joining the SteelerNation.com podcast and vidcast. I'm your host, G Striker, with LaVon Kirkland, rooting along with you as always. Go Steelers! <laughs>